so it, it really is control what you control. And I don't control cancer. I tried. It didn't work. I don't control cancer, but I control me being a dad in that in that world. You know, I don't control the market, but I do control my marketing. And I do control my advertising, you know. So I think I think it is, you know, make that decision first and then make look at see and say what do I control? Actually control in this equation and double down on those things, you know, because I think we spend a lot of time and energy trying to explain the markets, trying to explain what's going on, trying to control them in some way, trying to convince people of something or, or the next, instead of just saying, here's what I'm doing. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, I get the pleasure of interviewing Kevin Hoover, and today's episode might be a little bit different. Kevin, like a lot of our guests, has amazing success, uh, success record, 20 years in the business, New York City, uh, South Carolina, but some tragedy hit him when his son got cancer a long time ago, and that shifted the fundamentals of his business and his life trajectory. So we're going to talk about today what happens when life gets hard, what happens when business gets hard, and this has parlayed him into a real estate coaching business. Um, but a lot of people that I'm talking to these days, seeing in the post, the business is getting challenging. It's getting different. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about mindsets. So we're going to talk about transformation. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Take us into it. Like you were probably just humming along doing business, right? And then life started to change. Give us a little insight. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. Yeah. I was, uh, I was your, your standard real estate agent at the soccer game on Saturday with my phone in my face, putting the deal together calling the people, doing all the stuff. You can probably close your eyes and picture that guy <laughs> on, the, on the sidelines. Yeah, that was me. And um, and I had I started a coaching business um, on the side. So I had two businesses going, both were doing very well. Um, and one Friday, my, my son played soccer one Saturday and the next Friday he was being airlifted with total kidney failure and a tumor in his abdomen. So life changed very, very quickly for us. Um, we went to the hospital on a Friday morning to get scans to kind of figure out he had some tummy issues. And we went into the hospital at 7 a.m. At 11 a.m., we were in the oncology hall at a different hospital. So it just came about so quickly that you didn't have any time to prepare. But in that time, you know, I was in real estate actively selling. And the first year that we were in treatment with my son, we weren't in our state for four months. We weren't in town for four months of that year. So I couldn't really sell real estate. I wasn't here. Um, so I had to figure it out and it was, uh, it was a brutal time, but I think, you know, now that my son's, my son's okay, I should say, I always try to say that first before people, you know, <laughs> start thinking it's a different kind of story. The whole episode, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, uh, I don't like spoiler, you know, this is the spoiler alert I will welcome, but he's doing great. He's eight years old now, but it really changed the way that I live. It changed the way that I do business, changed the way that I coach, changed the way that I think about real estate. And, um, yeah, it, it was tough, but we, we got through it and here we are. So let's talk about the brass tacks of this. So you essentially are now not in your current market. Uh, you're going to piling up a lot of bills, medically speaking, obviously, emotionally, mentally focused on your son. W what's happening in the business? What's happening inside of you? Kind of take us into that. Well, it's um, a lot was happening, you know, and my first thought was I can't sell real estate anymore. Um, and my brain was just so preoccupied with everything else going on. You know, my son was in, he was dying basically. And um, so trying to wrap my brain around that and be present around that. But I decided pretty early on that real, selling real estate was something I could no longer do, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, until my son got better, because I made a commitment to be at every appointment, every treatment, every anything that happened, I was going to be there. And um, that was going to come first. 
So I, I was kind of, that was the first step of me kind of coming out of the cloud. Um, it, it's, it really was like, I've never been punched in the face because I try to be a peaceful man and a peaceful guy, but it's what I would imagine someone punching you in the nose really hard would feel like. And so I, I decided not to actively sell real estate. I'm still a licensed agent, even to this day. I still have my license I, I, and I do my own deals, but um, I wasn't going to actively pursue that. So, and, and you're right, the bills came, the helicopter ride, he was life flighted and they were very prompt about sending us that $60,000 helicopter bill. Um, and we have insurance and all that, so it's not a pity party, but it's, it's, you know, it's still sticker shock. You know, that was the first thing. And, you know, so it, it really was daunting. My mindset was the first thing that started to go, um, started to really have some dark days, really get challenged as far as what our future holds, you know, me being the provider of my family, um, a dad, a husband, you know, trying to be the best guy I can be and bad, bad things are happening and it's happening to the person I love the most. And so you can imagine some of the thoughts that may creep in and some things that you may have to deal with. The stress was incredible every day, um, you know, dealing with, you know, I, I'd had some really challenging real estate deals and I, I'd practiced real estate in New York City, probably the, if not the busiest market in the, in the world, one of the toughest markets to really be successful in, in real estate. So I was used to stress, but this was just a whole different level. This was a, a different caliber of stress that I wasn't used to. Um, and it made you, I, I, a lot of relationships went by the wayside because I just couldn't, you know, between managing the stress, my mindset, trying to be present for my son, trying to be there for my wife. Like I just, I didn't have any bandwidth outside of a few things to be a good friend or to be a good son or to, uh, show up for other people the way that I wanted. So, um, early on the commitment was I'm not going to sell real estate anymore. So I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to coach people because I can do that from anywhere. Um, so I am going to talk about that and I'm going to keep my commitments in coaching. I'm going to be very transparent. I had to tell some clients, I don't have an Emmy today. Um, and I got so much grace from my clients. They were just amazing at that time, but it, it really was just kind of every day, just kind of creeping one step forward and one step forward and one step forward. And then I think probably around the, uh, I think there was a tipping point and probably around the three month mark of my son being treated, um, I woke up at three. I don't, I didn't wake up. I was on the floor of the bat of the hospital in the bathroom, just sobbing my eyes out, just crying uncontrollably. And that was what I needed at that time. And I was sitting there just really emotional, really just kind of flushing out. Cause I didn't want my son to see me worried or me scared or me fearful because he needed to be brave. He needed to have positive energy. So I would keep all that in. And then one night it just came out and I was on the floor and I just, I decided that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to live this way. We weren't dying. We were healing. And as soon as I made that decision, my mindset changed, uh, my stress management process became very, very clear. And, um, and we were able to do some really remarkable things as far as, uh, you know, my business and obviously my son won his battle, but it was, it was a challenge, but I think that that kind of led me where I am today without that experience. Like I I've dealt with stress. I, I won't say that I've dealt with the most stress you can deal with, but I've been in that dark place where stress is insurmountable. And so when I talk to people about stress management, I know, I know a little bit about what they're going through in some way. And so, um, that was kind of the first, the first bit of really battling it out. And so obviously the stress of, of being around potentially your child passing away is very, very different than the stress of a failing business. But obviously, like you're saying, there's some correlations. And so you obviously noticed the transition from, we're not going to celebrate or not celebrate. We're not going to think about him dying. We're going to, you know, fight for life there. Does that have correlations to business in the sense, like 
are you basically shifting people's perspective from thinking their business is going to die to to celebrating its life? Like, kind of walk us through maybe the the parallels there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know part of my job is to draw correlations in anything you do, right? There's a lesson to be learned in any any scenario you get into. So yes, I think especially in real estate where the markets change, it's very uh, it's very volatile, and and we're in a, a position now where it can be incredibly challenging. 2008 was a really tough year for me in business uh, for obvious reasons. It was for a lot of people, but there, there is an element of saying, okay, um, you know, had, had we stayed the course with my son's treatment, had I stayed in the mindset, had I not made that shift, what would have happened to me? I, I don't know, heart attack, stroke? I don't, I don't know what would have happened to me. I don't wanna know, right? I, I just, I don't wanna go there. So I think the correlation is, you know, if business is getting tough, then what you're doing is not serving you and it's time to say, well, what am I? What can I do that's different that may be more ap more appropriate for this market that we're in, you know? And so people are so fearful, especially in real estate, of changing their behavior and changing their habits and pivoting their business in a way. And they're so afraid of, of going and doing something different when different is what is needed. And you know, and so that's the correlation I draw. I say, you know, on that bathroom floor that night, had I not made that decision, I'm not certain that I would be having this interview today. I, I can't say for sure. Right. But I changed my behavior. I changed my thought. I changed my stress management. I changed everything. And luckily here, here we are. Um, and and that, that's great. So the same thing in business, if business is not going well, it's not because of they or the world or them. you know, it's change your behavior, Do, you know, take responsibility. I say to my clients all the time, and it's a quote, and I'm not sure who said it, but the person who takes responsibility takes the power. And that's how you have to think about it in business all the time. Like if you're the CEO, it is on you. If you're the entrepreneur, the team leader, the agent, whatever it is, like if you take that responsibility, you take the power over changing it. So let's talk about the steps. So the first step, it sounds like, is taking responsibility for the fact that the situation you're in, even if there's circumstances around it, is still within your control. Mm -hmm. That's where the power is. What comes after that? Right. I, th I think decision is the pivot is the pivot point. You know, there, there were a ton of things that weren't in my control, but how I show up was. And so it, it really is control what you control. And I don't control cancer. I tried, it didn't work. I don't control cancer, but I control me being a dad in that, in that world. You know, I don't control the market, but I do control my marketing and I do control my advertising, you know? So I think, I think it is, you know, make that decision first and then make, look at, see, and say, what do I control actually control in this equation and double down on those things, you know, because I think we spend a lot of time and energy trying to, explain the markets, trying to explain what's going on, trying to control them in some way, trying to convince people of something or, or the next, instead of just saying, here's what I'm doing. You know, I think that's a much more powerful statement. And just understand there's enough variance in the market that for people that show up, they can carve out whatever sliver they need to make happen. 100%, 100%. And I, I think that's the decision that, you know, I try to walk my clients down. And I got a text the other day from a client, she's in real estate in Chicago, and um, she's taking a listing every week this year. She's, she's had a, a listing appointment every day this year that she's worked. She works five days a week. So five days a week, she's taking a listing. So it's that, but then the, another agent is, I haven't done anything this year. What is the difference in those two people and it's behavior and mindset and stress management. And, you know, I think there's just too big of a correlation between those things that says, if you make the decision, you control what you control and then you execute on a micro level daily, you're probably going to win in some way. So a lot of times there's debates amongst people who are going to conferences in real estate about 
how much of this thing is mindset? How much of it's tactics? Like if you had to put a percentage on it, yeah. where would you put it? I mean, a, a buddy of mine and a, and a business partner of mine, he argues that it's 90% mindset. Um, and I, pro I tend to agree. I probably think it's a little more strategy than, than, than that. You know, I think it's probably a little more, I would probably say it's, it's at least, it's at least 80, 20, you know, but mindset is the thing, you know, when you talk about, especially real estate, it, the barrier to entry is really low. You know, if you've got a thousand dollars in 30 days, you can get your license, which per pretty much puts you on the playing field, you know? So then it's like, okay, well, so the, the things we do are not necessarily what would be considered difficult by most people, like making a phone call. That's not hard. You know, we make it hard. Our mindset makes it hard, you know, because we go, what do we say? Why are we calling? Who are we calling? We've never talked like, so I, I think the, the actual strategy and the tactics that we use in real estate, they're not hard in and of themselves. Our mind makes it hard. So I do think that mindset is a huge, huge component of being successful or not in real estate. Yeah. So transformations, obviously something you're super passionate about. So obviously taking responsibility, what, what are the key elements for you in transformation? I start, I always start with claiming your desire. You know, what do you want? You know, a lot of people in business, especially in any business, they're not aiming at a specific target. They're just kind of hoping, opening the doors and hoping someone comes in, but it even goes deeper than that. I, I know I work with a lot of people who build this really great thing and then they get there and they go, I don't want this. I don't like it. You know, I made a million dollars and I don't like it. I don't like the way I did it. You know, and so I built, I, I work with a lot of people that experience that. So I think first and foremost, it's deciding reverse engineering based on the life you want and build a business that supports that life, be it $40,000 a year or $4 million a year. It doesn't matter. It's just a number, but that's where you have to start and you have to claim that desire, you know, and I hadn't done that. You know, when my son was uh, first uh, airlifted, I hadn't claimed any of that. And I went from working six, seven days a week to working a day and a half a week. And I was scared to death. I was scared because I didn't, I wasn't raised that way. I was raised like honest days work, honest days pay kind of blue collar family. And I, I didn't, I never worked that little in my life. And I was, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but I was going to work hard a day and a half a week. That's what I knew. That's what I controlled uh, a day and a half a week. I was going to work really hard. And over the next six months, my business doubled. And I was like, I've been working six, seven days a week. And, and here I am working a day and a half a week and business is growing. And I know the variables and a lot of it had to do with, you know, people were hearing my story. We were sharing a lot, you know, we were, you know, it was a lot of that, but then we finished treatment with my son and my wife and I looked at each other and the, the question was, what do we do now? Like what we, for two years, we've been doing this. And I said, well, I don't think I should go back to like six or seven days a week. I think I've learned too much. So how do I build what I want? So that was really when I said, okay, what do I want my business to be? What do I want it to be? And at that time, um, and I don't know if, I don't know if we talked about this off, off camera, but at that time I wanted my business to be three days a week. We were going to live in an RV and we were going to travel the country, seeing all these amazing things. And I claimed it and we did it. And we went 15,000 miles in 15 months in 28 States. And it was amazing. And that was, but that's an, that's an element of saying, I claim this is my business and life. And I still made great money. I still had a full roster of clients. I worked from a camper for, you know, 18 months. And, um, it was fun. Then we came back and we got into a house and I was like, okay, now let's do it again. What do I want my business to be? So I think it really is start with that very clear vision, that clear desire of what you want your life to be, build a business that supports that and understand you can change it at any time. 
So you mentioned the idea of building a business that's successful that you end up not loving. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why that happens. Does it happen because people at the beginning are focused on the end result, not the process? What would be some of the ways that people could find themselves in that situation? You're right. There's a lot of ways, but I think most of the time it's they're using someone else's version of success. They're saying, you know, oh, they've got a 14 person team. They're doing a hundred million in, in sales production. That's success in this industry. That's what I want. That's what I'm gonna go for that way. I'll have the car, I'll have the house, I'll have the accolades, I'll have all that. And then they get there and they, they realize, you know, they didn't want that, you know? So I, I think that's what happens most of the time is that the societal versions of success are, we just adopt those. And oftentimes we have, I, I, I work with so many people that are in corporate and they start their own business. And they become the jerk boss that they hated that was the reason they left their, their job. And, and it's like, okay, well, and, and it's just, you've got to create your own version of success. It's a subjective term. It can mean anything. And it's really a feeling. Um, and so I think that's really where people go wrong. Um, and a lot of it, and some of it can come down to purpose. They're not really operating in what they're designed to be doing in this world, or they're missing something, or they think something's going to fulfill them more than others. But if you have your own version of success and you know what that is and you're very clear on it you're probably going to build something that you like i want to talk about consistency here because generally speaking success comes from consistency Hmm. and discipline so people talk about about discipline like you got to be disciplined what i've discovered for myself is that in some areas i'm incredibly disciplined in other areas i seem like i have no discipline at all and so it almost seems like discipline is a function of alignment or a function of something right yeah as you're helping people like What's been your observation regarding consistency? It's, um, it's a belief issue, right? So there, there's a pattern that I noticed uh, in myself, and then I noticed in my clients around commitment. And c- commitment and discipline are pretty similar um, as far as, you know, what you're, you know, if you're committed to the gym, you're also disciplined to go. But it really is a, a belief thing. And um, so the process is if you believe it, you'll commit to it, you'll be disciplined to do it. And if you get there, then you'll see the results you want. And so when, when people say, you know, uh, I'm just not disciplined enough to do X, Y, Z, it's actually, they don't believe that X, Y, Z will work and bring the results they want in most cases. And so, um, I found that to be true. Like I, my, my health coach, I hate working out. I hate it. I detest working out. However, I love training, love it. It's the same thing. It's just, I believe working out is bad, but I believe training for a, an event, you know, a, a goal is, is fun and I like doing that. So we create these milestones. And so the discipline to do, to work out is not there for me. Cause I don't believe that it's fun. I don't believe that it's going to work. I've never had that ripped body or those six pack abs. I just don't believe, and that's not, that's my fault, not that. But when my, my coach says, you know, Hey, we're going to hike the grand Canyon in two months you got to get some elevation and you do that. I'm great going to the mountains this weekend. You know, like I, I will make extra time to do that because I believe that it's a, a, an important thing in my life. And so I think when we look at discipline and commitment and, and we, we, we really zoom out a little bit and we say, why, you know, going to the gym works. It doesn't work for me. It works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for me. Training works for me. So creating those benchmarks that creates the discipline and, and it, then it's a willingness. But if you really look at the belief around it, that's where it stems from. And I think when we tackle the actual problem and not just the, the, the buzzwords, you know, we can say, I'm just not, I'm not willing, you know, or it's like, you know, the, the young relationships normally around college age where uh, one of the people says, oh, they have commitment issues. Not true. 
they don't believe you're the one. If they believed you were the one, they would commit to you. <laughs> that would be that. They, they don't believe that this is going to work out. So they're just having fun or whatever they're doing. But that's kind of the process that we work through, that if there's no discipline or no commitment there, it's I go back to beliefs and we tackle that. So to take this down a philosophical pathway, are there people that, that have commitment issues or is literally in, in your take, everybody is, everybody would be committed if the beliefs were there? I can't say everybody. Um, I would say for high performing people, you know, people who are um, doing things already and they've had some level of success, you know, most of the time, if there's an element of no results showing up, it's a belief issue that can go back to childhood. It can go back to, you know, subconscious stuff. It can really, it can come from anywhere, really. Um, so I, I do think that it's belief issue. And then there's some things that we're not committed to or not disciplined to do just because we don't want to. We don't, we don't, we just don't want to do it. But that's where our version of success comes in. You know, if, if I don't want to make phone calls, I don't know that entrepreneurship is something I should be involved in. You know, if I don't want to post on social media, I don't know that entrepreneurship or sales uh, in real estate, especially is something that I should be involved in. So I think there's, there's, it's, it's, I don't, I don't like to use an absolute like everybody, but a lot of people, if you're achieved any kind of success and you're not seeing results, you want a certain area it's probably a belief that's coming in, even with around money, you know, our beliefs around money are incredibly powerful. And um, so, yeah, I've just found that to be true in a lot of people. So essentially what you're saying is, is as you're exploring things, when you find high levels of resistance, it's you equate it to a belief issue. Mm -hmm. Are belief issues fixable? Oh yes. They're not easy, but they are, they are fixable. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I use money as a big thing. You know, the metric of business is money and there's no way you can dice it. Like if you're in business, the metric of success in business is revenue. It's money, it's profit, all those things. So you got to talk about it. But, um, you know, so the money story is very important. And a lot of times I find that if you go back and you think of your first memory of money and you're the first time you remember money being a thing and really hone in around that. For me, it was I wanted a train set and it was $40 and my dad wouldn't buy it for me. And then we went to his office. He owned his own company, his own insurance company. We went to his office and this was in the seventies, late seventies. We went to his office and he opened a drawer and he had a petty cash drawer back then. And he opened that box and there was stacked full of cash. I mean, I was, I was young, so it was probably a couple hundred bucks of cash, but, and I was thinking he could just use that money and he, he wouldn't buy it for me. So my first, uh, my first memory of money was that, and it was that I don't have it. You know, as, as I dove through it, it was that I don't have it. And then my second memory was, look at that guy driving the nice car. He's such a jerk. And I was like, okay, so not only do I not have it, but the guy that has it is not nice. So that craft, that, that, those two little things really crafted my belief around money. Like I can't be a nice guy and financially secure. Um, we all know that to not be true, but that, that was the work I did to kind of get over that to say it was a belief. I believed, you know, my early, my twenties, I wasn't very successful because I believed that I was not supposed to be wealthy or supposed to have money or be financially free. And so once I tackled that, that's when business started to really shift. It really started to pivot. We, you see this a lot too in the religious and faith-based communities mm -hmm. where it's, you know, there are even scriptural perspectives that are taught as far as, Hey, you know, uh, for the love of money, et cetera. Yeah. And those, depending on how those are interpreted, those can really take people down paths of either wanting to be extremely wealthy or not wanting to be extremely wealthy. And, uh, so it could be, like you said, experiences, it could be just who you align with and where you're putting your time and energy. For sure. I think the, the, the religious part of it comes into play a lot. You know, the, 
the meek will inherit the earth kind of vibe, you know, that, that idea. Um, but I think there's another side of it too. It's, it's, you know, I think no matter what your beliefs are, you know, if you're a good person, we want you to have as much money as you can have so that you'll go do more good with it. Right. If, if, if you're a bad person, we don't really know. We don't want you to have a lot of money, but if you're a good person and you're running a good business and you're helping people and you're growing other people's livelihoods, like we want you to have as much as you can because you're going to do great things with it. So I think that's the perspective that I try to come from most of the time. Yeah. And a lot of times that's what ends up coming true. I mean, obviously like some people's beliefs can, can keep them from having a lot of money, but generally you get a lot of money by serving a lot of people um, and providing valuable things to the world and so on and so forth. Obviously some people get it by ill-gotten gain. Um, there's a book sure. by um, As a Man Think It. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoy that book because he says the people that are, you know, not nice that get wealthy, they do it in spite of their not niceness, not because of their not niceness, right? Oh, they have so these traits and qualities that allow them to become wealthy um, and so it's like, they're getting wealthy, like carrying their bad self up the hill, you know, um, not in spite of it. So take us down, like, what are some things that you've discovered that maybe most co- coaches or transform- transformation coaches aren't talking about enough? I think, um, being transparent and being authentic. I think there's also a lot of coaches that haven't, they don't share their story. You know, um, I'm very careful not to coach on something that I haven't completely gone through, you know, so I didn't coach on stress when I was in treatment with my son, I was in the middle of my stress. I didn't know how to manage it. It was two years after that. I looked back and said, what did I learn from that? And so I I think it's not necessarily, what are they not talking about? I think it's really, you know, if you, if you know, you've got a challenge and it's very specific, find someone who's been through something similar, find a coach who is talking, sharing their story. Like, here's how I learned that, you know, I can learn about stress management by going to YouTube or I can learn by going through an incredible situation in life and actually handling it and learning and being in that dark room and being in that dark space. And who would you rather be coached by? The person who's telling you what the book says or what the video says or what someone else says, or the person who says, man, I, I can relate to you and be empathetic as to your situation. Um, would you rather learn business from someone who's never built a business? Or would you rather learn real estate from someone who's never had to knock on doors? You know, like So I think it really is be very careful about not necessarily what topics aren't being discussed, but what behavior are you noticing? It's really easy to fall for the marketing because um, everyone's good at that. It's really easy to fall for the taglines. It's really easy to t- fall for the I've done this. Find examples of that in their timeline, in their story. You know, most people that have been through something like that, they'll share it with you. It's not going to be a secret. And so I think if, if you if more coaches were doing that and really sharing, you know, how they got to this point, how they got to their point of view, how they got to their expertise. What is it that put them on, on that, that path that would probably serve at a deeper level. I think most coaches are probably relying more on marketing than experience. I really like that you talk about something that you've done, something that you mastered, how you weren't teaching about stress while you're going through it. You taught about stress after you had felt like you had accomplished or conquered that I've gotten amazing results for people or uh, advice for people in my life, but some of the most dangerous advice that I found is the person that does something, mm-hmm. they figure out what they didn't want to do and what they would have done instead. And then they advise you to do the thing they would have done, but they still haven't done it. So I haven't done it. And so you feel like it's solid advice because you're like, okay, well, I'm going to avoid the mistake you made. But what you don't know is that they don't know the mistake they would have made going the other direction. Oh, um, so, good. It, so yeah, I mean, like, um, I really love what you're saying. So, Take, take our listeners into like, what is your life, you know, your vision for your life and business the next 12 to 18 months? 12 to 18 months. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, my vision is to save people in real estate from going out of business. 
uh, and not like they need saving. Um, you know, they're not, but help them see things that they may not feel like they can see. I think there's a lot of good agents that are going out of business right now. Um, and when you think of the compound effect that has, you know, everyone buys a home is the most expensive thing you buy in your life most of the time. And we need good people to facilitate those things. And so I think really finding good people who are honest, who know their stuff, um, but they, no one trains a real estate agent in business. They train you in not going to jail for real estate fraud or, you know, breaking the law. They don't train you in entrepreneurial aspects. And so my, my vision for the next 12, 18 months is to really take, I mean, I could probably take 20 or 25 people and say, let's keep you in business. Let's keep your career. Let's actually thrive in, in this changing market. Let's actually make more money than you have before so that your family is doing great. You know, that's, and let's do it in less time. Let's don't work 80 hours a week anymore. Let's, let's work 30, see how that feels. Um, you know, so that's kind of my vision is to help people in, in an industry that has been so conditioned for decades in the hustle grind mentality. Like you got to be here at 7 a.m. You got to start buzzing that phone at 7 a.m. Like they're just, that's just, that's on repeat for decades for a lot of these folks and say, hey, listen, um, there's another way. And it's a lot more fun and it makes you a better parent. It makes you a better spouse, a better partner, makes you healthier. It takes away a lot of your mental health issues that you might have coming down the road. But I think it's a great example that what you said is, you know, if you just rely on what someone should have done, if they make a mistake and they tell you, I would have done this differently, and you go down that path, there's another mistake coming that they didn't experience. They didn't, and, and that could be even more catastrophic than the one you, that they made. We just don't know. So I, I think it's really, my vision is to really help people down those paths and help them navigate the best way I can, be as honest as I can, and really just um, help people get results in a really small amount of time. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business. For those of you out there listening, like you said, write down something that you learned from today. Uh, one of the things I took away, just a, a reminder that I, I want to be reminded of daily, which is I mean, he was working five, six days a week, went down to a day and a half, and his business doubled. Right? Think about that. Like, I mean, how many of the things we're doing aren't just not as important as we might think? Um, so that was what I took away. But write down what you took away. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. This freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you.